Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, vetgurus.com. Go there, look around, stay a while, pin the site to your web browser, visit it regularly, and we'll be happy. So, Mark, I want you to talk about worming dogs <laughs> for me. Um, I've, um, this is, it just reminded me the main topic this week is about a particular parasite or parasites in rabbits. But I'd like your opinion on what do you recommend to clients as far as routine intestinal worming for their little doggies that are coming in? Um, it's complicated, isn't it? And it's been made complex by the increasing array of um, of uh, parasites that that have a wide spectrum. Um, and so, yeah, it, it what I can tell you what. I clearly said when I was a younger man, um, we would use one of the the allwormers, a perpantal, what's the other one, drontal. Um, uh, we would use those once every three months in adult dogs. We would use them in pups every two weeks till they were 16 weeks of age, then every four weeks till they were six months of age. Um, and every three months, uh, we would give them uh, some medication with praziquantel in it um, uh, to treat them for tapeworms, uh, for which the other medications did not treat. Now, I know that many of the manufacturers of flea control products claim that because they're controlling the fleas, which the uh, the intermediate uh, hosts for the zipper tapeworm, um, the most common one that dogs and cats get, um, that you don't need to treat them for tapeworm. But we still find that um, whatever parasiticide protocol the clients are on, we try to get praziquantel into the dogs on a regular basis. It is a bit frustrating, though, because I think the pre-patent period, and I'm going to probably display my ignorance here, um, the pre-patent period is only uh, 11 or 12 days. So from the time the dog ingests a uh, tapeworm um, cyst to the time they have a tapeworm is only very short. So um, we are certainly not trying to absolutely prevent the problem with those uh, once every three month uh, praziquantel doses um, where um, we're, uh, we're just trying to limit the chance of a problem. But that whole protocol, in my mind, one of the things that we're, I've got a, you've sparked my memory too, we're seeing an increased number of dogs with hookworm issues. And a lot of those uh, hookworms are resistant to, to the routine um, generic parasiticides that we give to dogs. So, so what yes. are you telling people? It's messy. <laughs> it's messy. That's my summary. And I think the difficulty is, too, there are so many choices. Sometimes choice can be bad, um, including for the business as well, because you end up having too many varieties of particular, uh, of all sorts of parasiticides on the shelf there. And um, potentially some of them go out of stock or out of flavor um, and out of favor um, so you end up um, throwing them out because they go out of date as well so doesn't seem to happen to pet stores they seem to have gigantic uh, rows rows and rows yeah um tens of thousands of dollars worth of 
those products of all sorts sitting on the shelf. Well, yeah, and I expect what they do is, you know, routinely have sort of say, sales, yeah, and have sales on particular ones that they need to get out. So they in their catalogs they'd be pushing one particular parasite treatment over another. So, I mean, we've sort of rationalised things and only sort of have one or one or two uh, at most of the spot-on ones in the clinic and same with the oral tablets as well. So it's just trying to provide one or two options of of um, appropriate ones rather than trying to compete. And, and it's so competitive, that market, isn't it, with the intestinal worming and, and the parasite treatment generally for pets that with the pet shops that um, you'd, you'd struggle to compete on price. So you're really trying to not do that or we certainly don't do that and we just trying to provide information um, and, and, and hopefully convenience and people will, will perhaps choose from us because they, one, they trust what we're going to say is a product that's useful for them and not over-servicing and that it's convenient and they that, that the extra couple of bucks or whatever that they um, they don't worry about that because they're, they're, they're comfortable with choosing us, you know. Um, so, yeah, so there's lots of different choices. I know that was a bit of a bit of a rabbit hole um no, no, speaking of rabbits mark but um it's it's i think it's one that we're constantly dealing with and i know there's always those fights isn't there with the, the industry and, and 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 some of the practice organizations and that um fight the um pharmaceutical companies when that when they do big launches and i maybe they don't do it anymore um or as much anymore mark but i remember in the past that they'd one of their key selling points of when they would launch these products where you go to those dinners um, and they you, you get a nice little three-course meal, wouldn't you? Um, and they'd launch a new parasite treatment. Um, they'd really stress that it's a vet-only product, you know, um, it's out in all the pet shops and it's available online and I don't think they bother even trying to stress that anymore, you know, um, to try and garner the, 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 the loyalty of the vets for using that product. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's... Uh, it's 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 tricky, and I don't, uh, and I think it's a fool's game trying to compete on, you know, just having a multiple array of products there. It, it, I, I think we need to go the opposite and just try and um, concentrate on providing um, advice that's trusted, and and hopefully our clients then trust us, and and they're not purchasing based on based on discount or on price it's um, one of purchase. the it's one of the the uh, if I, if there's one term i could take out of pet health care it would be all wormer because it just you know for all our um, it's easy i suppose for us who deal with exotic pets because um, i do say oh that term just doesn't apply there's no all wormer for whatever species we're dealing with, we've got to take samples and find out what the problem is and and tailor a treatment specific to your animal and and tailor a treatment that's specific to the circumstances of its its husbandry. Um, but um but yeah, that term all wormer, even with dogs, um, it uh, there, there really is no absolute uh, parasite treatment that does everything and we've just got to keep doing good medicine and treat them as we find the problems. Yes, and f my only final comment on that little discussion, on that long discussion, Mark, is yes, we have seen, I think I saw two or three last year of the, the, the dogs with the, um, what were you talking about, hookworm um, um, infection. So, yeah, um, I think some of these resistant products, um, we always need to keep that in the back of our 
minds that maybe something like that's going on there and um, getting back to basic basic medicine mark and um, you know looking if you don't look you won't find um, with those chronic issues of a um, gastrointestinal problem it may be something as simple as that although um, we have to reach for a parasite treatment that you wouldn't normally use because it's not going to be effective so with that short eight-minute introduction there, Mark, I'm going to jump into a, real, a, a really quick news article, um, and um, this one's a bit of a, a sore point here. The reason why I picked this one out, it's a, an area that I was hoping to go to and I didn't get there, and it's, a, it's an article about, whoops, let me grab it up again. Um, it's a couple in India who, are, who is or are buying up land and just letting it go wild so wildlife can thrive there. And it's in an area of Rajasthan, which um, is a huge region of India, um, and it's adjoining the Ranthambore Tiger Reserve. And I was initially hoping to go there when we did our India trip and do a bit of a a stay um, at, at that particular reserve um, and it's not just tigers they have there there's a fair range of large um, wildlife there um, but we didn't get there Mark so I'm a bit annoyed that we didn't get there and every time I see an article like this it, it um, captures my attention because I feel sorry that I didn't get there so maybe it's sometime in the future so um, it's just a little arc about this couple that and they haven't haven't got um Great, um, uh, you know they haven't been buying up tens of thousands of, of acres or hectares, but it, it's just good to see people like this. And it's the the Singh family, and um, um, which is not unusual for Indians, like um, you know Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You know it's a very common um, surname in India, and, and they started buying up. Um, so they gradually bought land adjacent to the Tiger Reserve, starting in. Let's have a look, 1998, and over the next 20 years, they bought more than 35 acres of land. So, yeah, they haven't bought thousands and thousands of acres, but it's I think it's you know small steps, isn't it, Mark? And um, they, they've just basically, initial, the initial section they had, they just fenced it off and just left it because it's an area that that um, wasn't very productive um, for agriculture um, and they just they just fenced it off and then they started seeing tigers and other animals in there and um, yeah so it's a it's a good news story mark a bit of a positive news story there a bit so um, and I think they are up. they are positive news stories and I know from trips to places that I've been that it's usually going the other way that even reserves are slowly having the edges of them worn away and so it's good to hear one where they've just been added to um my story brendan is um and i thank our um our ever diligent researchers for pointing this out um it does come from um, one of your favorite sites the popular science website um and it talks about the hispaniolan selenodon so um these are pretty now, what was the title of this article mark you may need to mention that first i think <laughs> i was going to leave that to the end but um these animals have nipples on their butts and that's not the most fascinating thing about them um so uh, these tiny they look like shrews a little bit um they are a class of mammals that um developed uh, that evolved um before the dinosaurs and so they've outlived the dinosaurs they have their te- their name um comes from the fact that they have grooved teeth not unlike some snakes um and shrews um and uh but uh, but they're not closely related to shrews even though they have a, a sort of you know appearance that uh, makes you think that um 
And uh, what's that? Um, 74 million years old, they evolved. Um, and they have venom that runs down the little groove in the tooth, um, which uh, helps them to uh, capture their prey. Um, but the problem with these guys is that they've evolved, they've, the re remaining populations uh, on isolated islands in the Caribbean, and they uh, ha have not evolved to deal with some um, uh, uh, um, aggressive uh, um, uh, predators, predators that, you know, they are actually a little bit awkward. They scurry along with a, an erratic zigzagging sort of gait. Um, they just haven't had to be exceptionally, um, uh, you know, they haven't been prey items uh, for the large part of that 74 million years. And so they haven't developed uh, excellent escape mechanisms. And now, uh, uh, animals like mongoose or dogs that have been introduced to those islands are really making a dent in the population and they're now uh, considered endangered by the IUCN. Um, so there, there's this article reports on researchers collecting blood to do uh, uh, genomic studies um, to just help piece together more about them and, and hopefully... Um, uh, give us more information um, that allows us to save them. Um, the, the, also, I think there's probably most of these venomous animals do provide a whole bunch of unique chemicals that uh, are excellent resources for the pharmaceutical industry. And so I think the genetic anomalies that, uh, that um you know, reveals the details of those toxins, which are completely different to any of the other toxins that are um, involved, you know, that mammals carry. Um, that could be a unique thing. And who knows, we might see drugs in the future that are that are the result of um, uh, genetic studies into selenodons. Let's hope the animals live as long as the consequences of the study do, Brendan. Yes, they, they are quite Interesting looking creatures, aren't they? That main picture there with that fat little tail there. Um, that, what about one, the guy, one, the guy well, Taras, one, holding the one by the tail? Yeah. Yes, got one, a, he's got a pretty cool smile on his face, Taras. I think he's happy he didn't um, get envenomated by it. Um, but, well, I've got one comment on the article and one comment or maybe more comment on the actual site, popular science <laughs> site, Mark. Um, my comment on the article is the second picture there. They're, talk, they're talking about veterinarians taking blood from a small amount. A veterinarian was able to draw a small amount of blood from each of the five animals they were able to catch, draw draw on their tails with a Sharpie, I presume for identification, so a little um, permanent marker, and release them back into the forest. So the picture of the... Well, that says researcher there, so I don't know whether that's a veterinarian or not taking the blood there, Mark. I'm just a, it's not my favourite method of collecting blood from an animal conscious there. By the look of it, I'd be surprised if, if they are not taking it from cardiac puncture there. So it looks like cardiac puncture to me. Um, I don't know whether you think that's the case, Mark. Um, if you look at that second picture there under the little lamp light there. Um, I've, I've, I've just done a little bit of um, Sherlock Holmes work on the picture and I'm deducing that you're exactly right. I can't see uh, that, but that ne the guy does have a uh, uh, um, needle syringe. cap in his mouth. You can't see the syringe, can you? It's it's discreetly concealed behind one of the the uh, other researchers restraining the animal. Um, but I would be saying you're exactly right. And bloody so hell, I would have... 
That I would tail, have been, I would have. That tail looks exactly. <laughs> you've, you've beat me to it, Mark. I would thunder. have said, "Let's go for tail." That tail looks like it's punch. begging to get a needle stuck in it and drawn blood out of. Yes, and to be less traumatic, and and um, yes. So that's my comment about the article. My comment about that site is, gee, it hurts my eyes. This website, it has so many. It's just full of ads everywhere, and I just hate sites like that. And um, I usually try and use something like the the Reader View in um, in Safari if I'm on the Mac to try and um, get rid of all of those things. Um, and there's just ads popping up every, everywhere, and they keep constantly changing. Mark, um, I'm just scrolling down to the bottom of the page. Here's maybe they the, <laughs> must must say a lot about what I don't know what you've got well, down say, on the bottom. We should, we got, should compare I've, ads. Well, my, my bottom right ad is, remember Tiger Woods' ex-wife? Try not to gasp when you see her now. Um, so I've got one about Tiger Woods. And try these tricks to get a really clean Mac. Um, what else have I got? Um, they are completely online, online. different to mine. Oh, here we go. I've got some really old guy um, and it says online MBA degrees in Australia. The cost may surprise you and 25 dying professions you should avoid. What have you got? I've got a, a science article. Um, there's is one of the pop-ups, uh, nature's best toilet paper substitutes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, five beast mode workouts pop sci editors are doing from home. Well, that's you. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. We, we, yes. we should make this a regular segment, pop-up comparison. <laughs> yes, actually, I did see that Beast Mode one a couple of minutes ago, so it must be cycling, cycling between yeah. that one, yes. Uh, so anyway, so it, it, it puts me off um, sites like this when they have multiple sort of um, not just pop-ups but ads everywhere. I've You've got, got a, At the top, I'm, I'm, top of the page, they've got something about um, – Year seven mathematics um, tests, and all sorts well, they, of things. Yeah, which is probably to, probably my level. <laughs> trying to sell me gold, Australian economy. <laughs> <laughs> Do what you can to protect yourself. Buy gold. Well, and I think the one that's particularly targeted for me, Mark, very top left corner, Uranus blast. <laughs> <laughs> Blasted a gas bubble. <laughs> I'll read it. Two hundred twenty, no, twenty-two thousand times bigger than the Earth. <laughs> they have been uh, targeting both of us with that one. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, we better get off this until I collapse in a fit of laughter, Mark. So let's jump into our. Our. Let me pull up my articles here. So. Yeah, we're going to talk about tapeworms in rabbits, Mark. Um, and I know we have mentioned it in previous podcasts, and it's a particular of particular interest to me because we see a fair few of them. And I think you were mentioning just before we went on air that you still have not diagnosed one in your practice. Well, I did have those moments in um, the UPAV conference. Uh, I think the first time was in Brisbane, but I know it's been mentioned a couple of times since where I've gone, oh, crikey, is that something that I haven't seen and and I better keep my eye open for it when I get back to the hospital. And I can't tell you I've ever seen one, but like we said before, it's uh, probably um, uh, not looking diligently enough more than them not being there. So, so I am Keen to give you the third degree and and um, enhance my knowledge, um, so that I can uh, um, so that I can pick them up. Um, so so tell me um, to start with, 
Um, uh, give us a rough idea. There's a number of different species involved in this, who, and they may even have yeah. presentations. Yes. So hopefully this will be a nice little five-minute, maybe 10-minute <laughs> summary of um, the two particular tapeworms of interest in pet rabbits, Mark. So I'll sort of run through it and you can um, quiz me on any bits that are unclear, which is probably going to be a lot, and also any bits that I have missed. So, yeah, we're looking at two um, forms of tenia. So tenia cerealis is the main one that people will be dealing with, and the other one is tenia pisiformis. Um, and, yeah, we'll sort of separate them into th those two and, and also talk sort of generally about them. So with both of those, um, rabbits are the intermediate host, and that's one of these fascinating most of the veterinarians listening to the podcast can probably remember way back to their parasitology classes when um, intermediate hosts were mentioned and, and this particular tenia um, was probably mentioned in, the, in their course as well. Um, so most of these infections, they're subclinical, um, but they you, you need to include them. The bottom line is you need to include them in a differential diagnosis of any sort of masses that you can detect or feel in pet rabbits, Mark, because, um, yeah, we see a fair number of them um, in our practice. So the way the process works or the the, um, the life cycle works is that um, a, a canid, um, particularly dogs and foxes, and here in Australia, dingoes as well, are the definitive hosts for them for both of these particular parasites. Um, although apparently, and I'd, I'd spend a bit of time chatting to it, a um, very well-respected parasitologist here in Melbourne about them. Um, foxes apparently are not very good hosts for the T. pisiformis um, parasite, Mark. Um, so both of them also occur in dingoes, as I said, here in Australia, which is which is a particular one for, for us to remember. Um, have you, which is, I'm off the track a little bit, do you see any dingoes as, as, as pets? Uh, are you allowed to have a dingo as a pet in, in New South Wales? Uh, we do see one client who has them, and, and, and under special licensing, there are people allowed to own dingoes, yes. I think we have, oh, I haven't seen her for ages. We had one client as well who had, I think, two dingoes, yeah, but I can't remember last time we saw her with a, a dingo. So what happens is the rabbit, and, and hares also can be infected, Mark, um, that they ingest the embryonated eggs um, that are shed by that definitive canine host. And basically the eggs then hatch in the intestine of the rabbit and then they um, migrate through the gut wall into the circulation and then they sit inside the rabbit waiting to be eaten again by that 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 canid, that definitive host, that that dingo or that fox or that dog, Mark. Um, so it's just sitting there waiting to be eaten there. So they form these sort of relatively benign cysts um, in the rabbit there. And and these two different types of tapeworms um, have two different um, ways or regions that they sort of sit in, <coughs> excuse me, um, in the rabbit. Um just bear in mind, though, because they have to penetrate through the gut wall into the circulation, you can also have damage during that process as well. Um, so the main one that people see, and and um, because you can often palpate them, and it's that that um, why you need to have this on the list of the differentials for rabbits that have lumps and bumps on them, is the T. cerealis, Mark. So they form these large multicephalic cysts um, and there's different names for that but basically the um, soanuri or, or soanurus um, some people pronounce it with a hard k um, even though it's a, a c um, in in as an intermediate host so basically a soanurus or soan 
your so in iris, I think they call it. Um, there's there's two different. There's, there's a bit of controversy over what you should call them, but these fluid filled cysts is what they are. So the, they're a soft fluid filled cyst, um, and sometimes they're just called a bladder, and they have many scoliosis in them. Okay, so that that's the key with the T cerealis one. So the, it's a, a one fluid filled cyst usually or virtually always um, with many scoliosis inside them. So they're located always or almost always in fascial planes or subcutaneous regions, in um, um, particularly in the head, neck and sort of ventral chest or thoracic region of them. So, so basically, if you have a rabbit that 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 they do that they've got this sort of soft flatulent lump um, around the head, sometimes under the chin, and I've even had a, a few that we've seen that we've mistaken for dental disease initially because they get a, um, a, a um, tapeworm cyst under the chin there. Um, and they're pretty rare to be in other sites um, with them. They tend to all, always um, occur in that sort of region there. That, um, interestingly enough, there's a, there's at least one, I think there's a two or three case reports now of um, a cyst within the orbit of a rabbit, so um, in the eye, Mark, um, at the back of the eye there as well. Um, so yeah, so um, and some of these cysts contain not you know not just a few, but sometimes hundreds of these scoliosis, um, and they can end up being really big. And I think I've sent you some photos of some of the ones that we've removed in rabbits where they've been, you know, fifteen or twenty centimeters diameter um, with them. So that's the first one, T. cerealis. The other one is T. pisiformis, and this one um, migrates the same process um, through the gut into the circulation, but then it sort of hand, heads, heads off to the liver, Mark, um, via the circulation and forms cysts on the, either the peritoneum or the liver. So, And the difference, the other difference with this particular one compared with T. cerealis is each cyst only contains a single scolex, um, and by definition it's referred to as a cysticircus instead of a coenurus um, with these ones. Um, so, they so you might for you might um, the the complicating factor is they may form grape like clusters of them, but each one of them only contains a single scolex. So each little grape has one scolex, as opposed to the T. cerealis, which is a fluid filled cyst or bladder with with multiple um, scoliosis inside them. There, Mark. So, so with the T. piziformis. Um, you're unlikely to palpate it because it's a cyst, you know, usually a solitary cyst that's sitting in, inside the peritoneum or on the liver. Although Belinda, my associate at one size, saw a spectacular case that had a CT scan and it had a massive T piziformis cyst um, on the liver, which was many, many centimetres wide. So, so you may see a rabbit that has T piziformis, but you never diagnose it because you just um, um, aren't detecting it um, because it's just sitting there waiting for that rabbit to get eaten um, there. Um, so that's sort of the basis of, of, of how they get there um, and, and and I suppose a little bit that you need to always remember that that's a potential dif differential diagnosis with the T. cerealis with a, a soft sort of lump around the, the front half of the rabbit. Um, so what do we do is probably your next question, Mark. You know, what do we do with these? Do we remove them? Do we treat them? Do we hit them with with Praziquantel? Um, you mentioned Praziquantel 
earlier in the podcast. Well, surgery is the treatment of choice for them. Um, and the good news with that is because they are subcutaneous or within these fascial planes, intermuscular, um, you can usually dissect them out quite quite easily. Um, and they're really, really satisfying to do. I really love doing these surgeries, Mark. Um, they're really good fun removing them and that's curative assuming that you've got the got the whole cyst out there but having said that we we always um worm um the rabbit with praziquantel as well um just to just to play safe in case there's any that we've missed in other other regions there or it still have some that you know migrating through the through the gut for instance that haven't quite got to the cyst, cyst form um how do we do that well um i don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but um, the only praziquantel that we have easy access to is a tablet form. Um, we used to have a liquid form. I don't know whether you've seen the liquid form recently, Mark, but we certainly haven't. Um, so we're left with a tablet of praziquantel. Um, so we just compound it up. We just crush it up um, and then just drench the rabbit with it. So it's an oral treatment and, and it's a bit of a anecdotal um, dose rate that was recommended to me by the parasitologist as far as how often to do it and we give them a dose of it within a day or two of the surgery and then we repeat that in about two weeks. Um, Brendan, the, the the thing that we do a little bit of a, um, there is a number of products that contain praziquantel uh, combined with other medications. The one that um, uh, stands out is a, a a bird product made yes. by um, and do you ever use that uh, combination of oxfen oxbendazole and and praziquantel? No, apparently not. No, sorry, <laughs> I'll just do a big cough there and grab in a drink. Um, no, um, I have thought about it, but because we do have access to the the Dronset, which is a, the the, the pr- pure praziquantel, I, I tend to just try and be pure with it and just go with, with just that. Um, and, and yeah, the rabbits don't like it. We do flavour it um, and it's only a pretty small volume and, and usually you can get it down their throat pretty easily. Um, there is some comments that potentially you could, and I have tried it occasionally for a, for a very deep-seated cerealis cyst, um, even though I said majority of them you can remove quite quite readily. For instance, it might be an aged rabbit that... Um, um, is compromised in other other ways, um, and you may not want to take it to surgery. Um, that you could potentially inject the praziquantel into the cysts, um, and it's thought that that might kill the scoliosis there. Um, not that they're doing much; they're just really sitting there waiting for that rabbit to get eaten. Um, and I have tried that occasionally as well. So tell me, one of I have this vague memory from decades ago that if you buggered up the surgery with those scoliosis, you could end up with a disaster. Is that a, a real genuine problem? I don't think so. I mean, I've had, I have had, it's not rare. Most of them I managed to get out with without popping that, um, that platter there, Mark. But um, to be honest, I just flush and um, flush and flush and flush. And, and um, the vast majority, I can't remember the last, last one that went wrong, if that, if, if, that's, um, if that sort of answers the question there. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so, yeah. So, um, you know, should we preventatively um, treat our rabbits with, with praziquantel? My answer to that would be no. Um, one thing 
that I do recommend to clients, especially here in Victoria, where we do see, you know, we'd see, we might see a couple of months, a couple of these cases a month, and then then none for a few months. But we certainly see, you know, tens of them a year. Um, I'd, I'd be saying is that we'd recommend to clients that if they're having their rabbits um, running around in their backyard. Um, um, if they do have wild rabbits um, and areas where there's been, you know, wild dogs, sorry, and and and, and canids out there, um, then then they should be ideally restricting their access to to the browse out there, which is tricky because I usually recommend very highly to them that they let rabbits be rabbits and be out there um, chewing on vegetable matter there. Um, if it's an inside rabbit. It's as simple as saying to, I say this to all my clients that have inside rabbits, is if you're going outside grabbing some grass and weeds and, and, and plant material from outside, you just wash it before you offer it to the rabbit and just make sure you're, you're washing it to try and decrease the chance of it um, getting these tapeworm cysts with them. Um, in theory, the, the other the other interesting thing, which I, I must admit I'm pretty remiss with not actually mentioning it to, to clients, and I should be, um, in theory you should be treating any, any – um, any dog in the house as well um, um, in, in, in case um, there's going to be a problem there. And there is a zo- potential zoonotic um, effect, um, concern with it as well, although it's extremely rare, rare with it. Okay. Um, so, and um, you had a question there, Mark. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull up a little quote I got from one of, from a parasitologist about um the chance of catching it as far as a human goes. Uh, Mark, um, did you have a question? I did. I was going to ask you about the zoonotic potential and I was also going to ask you um, quickly to, um, like, uh, I know it's tracking back, but can we use ultrasound to diagnose these? Yeah, great question. And that was in the, well, very, very astute question there, Mark. Um, That was in this little um, article that I got from a parasitologist. He said one of the ways you can diagnose it is via ultrasound. So it it isn't something that I do um, regularly or or, or rarely do. Um, Majority of these ones where I I think it's a tapeworm cyst in a rabbit, um, it's just I'm used to knowing what they feel like and they sort of have this sort of... um, particular feel to them and if it's in that front half of the rabbit then I'm fairly confident that we'll have a tapeworm cyst um, and I just take it to surgery but yeah definitely ultrasound so with this article um, I'll just try and quote a couple of things from it Um, uh, a definitive diagnosis should be sought if only a public on public health grounds the rabbit of course presents no danger to humans directly um, probably even if someone eats it raw Wow. And, and his comment was, please do not try this, just have faith. Um, please do not try this to see if I'm correct, just have faith. Gee, they know me so well. Um, casual contact will not result in infection. Humans can only act as an, an inappropriate intermediate host and cannot, as far as they, they understand, get adult tapeworms from the rabbit. However, if the rabbit has a Coenuris or coenuris, um, so the bladderfield cyst. Then dogs in the vicinity will be spreading eggs that can infect humans with occasional horrible consequences, like human cerebral coenuris. Um, they've been around a hundred cases of this in humans, published in the literature. Wow, which is 
although they comment, which is four to six orders of magnitude less than cystisocheisis. But that won't be comfort if you get it. Uh, and uh, blah, 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 and it just talks about some um, bizarre cases. Um, so, and the bottom line was all possible dogs in the vicinity of the rabbit should be treated with praziquantel and and his aside is it should go without saying the dog should not be allowed to eat the rabbit. (laughs) How topical is that? Because we were just talking about um, worming dogs and how many of the dogs we see don't get wormed specifically for tapeworm. That's just taken as a a consequence of the other stuff that's done um, when maybe particularly for our rabbit owners, we definitely should be insisting that the dogs get their, um, their praziquantel in whichever form we can get it into them. What, Brendan, what is the, um, I'm just trying to find out the, what is the, no, no, the intermediate host, like rabbits are the penultimate intermediate host. What are the, the, what is the, uh, with, um, Particularly with Pisiformis, what is the host before that? Uh, okay, so let's have a look. So we have, um, yeah, so we have the dog laying those, uh, going through the small intestines, those eggs or gravid proglottids in the feces passed into the environment, the embryonated eggs and are ingested by that intermediate host. As I'm right. pretty sure they sit, I have to look at it. So they sit on grass, et cetera, and as yep. um, embryo host, and then they go into the rabbit, and yep. then they're sitting there, and then they're circulating, waiting to be eaten. Um, I just wondered okay, whether the, they, it's only the dog and the rabbit. I thought there may have been, you know, like a snail or an earthworm or something that. Uh... Yeah, you're putting me on the spot here. I'm pretty sure they oh, no, don't, but. Um, you're, you're right. We'll no, do just... an addendum with it if, if, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, dose rate's the same. Dose rate is the same for praziquantel for, for um, tapeworm in virtually any species, and it's one of those dose rates that I've always remembered, and it's 8 milligrams per kilogram uh, regardless of species. Um, and it's just one of the few things that I always remember. Um, I don't know why, but yes. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting and, – and once you see them, I just find them really fascinating, these, um, yeah. So um, the other comment from that parasitologist was, well, his summary was, no medication will cure a rabbit of its tapeworm infection, um, but complete surgical resection is generally curative. Okay. Um, so, yeah, um, quite interesting. And, 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 well, final, final comment is there are also several types of tapeworms that have wild rabbits as the definitive yes, host. Yes, I was going to ask you this. But, and this is according to the parasitologist, but to my knowledge, the parasitologist is saying, these have not been seen in domestic rabbits, um, right. although there's a possibility they have. So, um, yeah. So, um What's the bottom line? I think, you know, tapeworm cysts in rabbits is um, a particular um, idiosyncratic thing that we see um, and it's something you need to put on your differential list when you see a rabbit with a soft fluctuant. Fluctuant, 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 fluctuant. I want you to describe the sensation, Brendan. I think this is a really important thing. That it well, just... you, know, you know, one of my favourite words is balot. 
Yes. Um, you know, when you blot things and you tap it and it's sort of, it's like tapping a drum and you get that vibration back. You do it to um, me every time we go out to dinner. Yeah, behind the back of the head, yeah. Um, so you can sort of blot some of these and you get that little fluid wave with them almost. So, you know, that's a bit of a, a tip for some of them. Um, but the ones that are sort of hidden behind um, or in those fascial planes won't, won't particularly do that. Um, the, the other the other trick you have to diagnose them is is to just pop a needle in there, Mark. Um, yep, just take, t- take a sample out. Majority of the time I've found, probably 99% of the time, that you do not manage to suck up the, the skull licks because they're so, you know, thick, they won't go into it, even an 18-gauge needle. So you'll just suck up this viscous viscous um, um, material, really sticky sort of um, um, the fluid um, that's sitting there in that bladder, yeah, um, and, and it's clear. Um, if you're lucky um, and pop it under the microscope, um, you might see a couple of bits of the scolices um, or the scolex in there. So so that's another way you can potentially diagnose it. Yeah. So there we go, Mark. Tapeworm, cysts in rabbits, everything you didn't want to know about them. Excellent. Um, presentation brendan that's an awesome series of answers so i think with that are there any final comments on that or no, you're I off to it you off rabbit for life <laughs> um, um and yeah i think well no i'm not going to go down that track <laughs> say a very silly joke there mark no i think with that we will um we will leave it and um we will talk to you all next week and mr outro man is here already so thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time we